Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, it's so good to be with you. I'm, I'm seeing lots of kids in the room. Welcome, kids. It's so great to have you with us in worship. Uh, again, welcome to you in here and online. We are continuing our series entitled Deep Roots as we are considering what it means to live as a creative minority for Jesus in a world that has all but pushed God out of its frame of reference. And so that's what we're getting back into this morning. And as we do so, I want you to consider this question. How do you deal with pain? When pain happens in your life, when it comes to you, how do you deal with it? Do you ignore it? Do you stuff it down? Do you pretend like everything's okay? You know, put a smile on and carry on. Do you pretend like everything's just fine? See, as we've been entering into this Sermon on Deep Roots, there's, there's been a lot of hope, right? Wow, we're a creative minority for Jesus, and there's a ton of excitement in that. But this morning, we're going to be considering how, as we follow Jesus, pain can come to us, and that it's not always happy and clappy, but that we encounter trouble of many kinds. And, and what we're going to consider this morning is how do we deal with that pain, right? When it comes to us, because we're following Jesus in a world that has rejected him, how do we deal with the pain that comes from, for example, being displaced, from the center of society to the margins? So the other week, I was reading a study by Barna Research, and they were polling some of the different cultural attitudes in our society, uh, things that people believe, stuff like, something is true if it feels true, or follow your heart or self-denial is unhealthy, right? Then there was one about clergy, and I thought, ooh, I really need to read this because this is about me. And it said, clergy members are old, irrelevant, and only good for marrying and burying. Ouch! I mean, that's how people see me and view my role, whereas clergy in our society used to be well-respected, very well-educated. I am educated, but everyone else is really educated too. And I'm not railing to get that back. I mean, that's what it means to be a creative minority, right? This is about how do we respond to the position we find ourselves in. And personally, don't worry about me, guys. I'm good. I'm secure in who I am. But there's pain, right? When we look out in the world and we see a world that has rejected God and people seem to thrive apart from God. Science and tech are enabling us to do so many things that we would have never dreamed of 30 years ago. The wealthy get wealthier, the poor get poorer. There's pain in simply living in a broken world. And so how do we process that pain? How do we deal with that pain? How did Daniel deal with that pain? As a couple weeks ago, we considered his story. He, he lived in Babylon, ripped away from his home. How did he deal, he deal with the pain? How did Esther and the people of God deal with the pain in Persia? How have God's people processed their pain in social landscapes of slavery, exile, and marginalization? That's what we're going to consider. I invite you to open a Bible into the book of the Psalms. It's the largest book of the Bible. If you cut your Bible you know, relatively in half, maybe just a bit more toward the beginning, you'll find the book of Psalms. And we're going to get into Psalm 73 today. 
Um, if you're using a pew Bible, I didn't check what number it's on, but if someone could just shout that out, that would be awesome to help everybody else out. 469? 469 in the pew Bible, thank you. So Psalm 73, and again, if you're at home watching, please have a Bible open before you as we give ear to the word of the Lord. It says, a psalm of Asaph, and Asaph was one of David's chief musicians. He was a worship leader, and he wrote songs and poems, and this is one of them. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until, until I entered the sanctuary of God then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon us even as you inspired these words of scripture, so would you inspire and illumine our hearts and minds to receive what it is you have to speak to us today. Oh God, may we encounter you in this time. Lord Jesus, may we encounter you in this time, for we pray it in your mighty name, amen. In case you didn't notice, that's a pretty heavy psalm. Uh, psalm 73 is classified by the academies and the scholars as a psalm of lament. Lament means a method of vocalizing your pain and expressing your pain. And it's not a popular topic today, right? Like, when was the last time you heard a sermon on lament in church? It's probably been quite a while. 
You, and you certainly don't hear that word outside of church, lament. It's kind of old school. Um, but the practice and prayer of lament is really important for us, for following Jesus today. So I want us to do a little trivia. Uh, out of 150 psalms in the Bible, how many psalms do you think are classified as lament? One in 25? Maybe one in 10? One in five? Or one in three? How many songs are songs, psalms of lament? Turn to the person next to you, and if you're online, do it with the person next to you. Don't look it up on Google, honor system, folks. Uh, so just quickly tell the person what you think next to you. What do you think is the amount of psalms of lament? One out of 25, one out of 10, one out of five, or one out of three? All right, answers in. Is that your final answer? So this is how, this is how um, my Bible study app classifies it. As you can see there in blue, there are 59 Psalms of Lament, folks, and they are blue, right? The Bible is down with the blues. Um, so if you said that one third of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament, you were right. Way to go. Check it out. There's like more lament than praise in the Psalms. Isn't that crazy? And, and so if, if this is such a dominant thing in the Psalms and in, in, in the Bible, this is something we need to talk about and know about. Lament is a key part of our spirituality as we follow Jesus. And the book of Psalms was actually the prayer book that Daniel carried into exile. He probably didn't have a scroll or a manuscript of the Psalms, but he had it in him from years and years of repetition in their oral society. And same with Esther. The Psalms was in their language of prayer. It offered the framework for how they were to pray to God. And this is really important for us. So let's talk about this. How does lament help us deal with the pain? So first of all, Lament helps us process the pain. Again, uh, right, depending on who you are, if you encounter pain, sometimes you like run away from it, you ignore it, or you uh, stuff it. We need to process our pain because our pain can actually cripple us uh, and really bind us in bitterness. We need to process the pain. Look at how Asaph does it. He begins by saying, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, right, it gets really personal. As for me, here's where I'm at. I almost lost it. My feet almost slipped. Four, I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the proud. He shares all of his frustration about what he's seeing in his city and in his society. He sees the arrogant and wicked prospering and living luxuriously, even though they dishonor God, right? Even though they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything, right? And his pain really comes forward in verse 13, where he says, surely in vain, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and what he's wondering and you might have had moments of wondering this too is following God even worth it like I'm looking out in the world and people who hate God who, who think he doesn't exist who rail against him they're fine and here I am suffering because of it no one will talk to me at school or people at work think I'm 
uh, a bit of a weirdo. Um, is this worth it? Is self-denial worth it, right? Is obedience to Jesus worth it? And Asaf is having this raw and honest moment, right? And our culture would see Asaf in his agony and we'd go, yeah, man, like you're being authentic. Way to go. He's being honest about the pain and trouble he's experiencing. But guess what? Asaf doesn't stay there. And this is really important. Because in our, in our moment today, especially in the church, as people are trying to reconcile biblical faith in a broken world and following Jesus and what that means, a lot of people are trying to be authentic to their faith and they end up trapping themselves in unbelief. This happens when people kind of make authenticity the goal, right? Like I'm gonna be so authentic and I'm gonna start to deconstruct this thing called faith. But that really traps you because authenticity is not the goal in following Jesus. Jesus Christ himself is the goal. And lament doesn't keep us in our pain, right? You might be expecting, wow, this is just gonna be a heavy sermon this whole time. No, folks, lament is about processing our pain so that we come out of it. And that's what we see in Psalm 73. But before we see that, I just wanna draw out one more insight about when we experience pain. You see, Asaf is aware that what he is feeling is not true, right? One of the things in our culture is if it feels true, then it is true, but Asaf is profoundly aware that what he's feeling is not true. He knows that he's in the heat of his anger and angst and confusion. He knows that he, he doesn't have the full picture, that he doesn't see the whole truth, that he's seeing things through, through the lens of his own hurt, and through the lens of really his own sin, right? He admits in verse three, he, he's envious. He's coveting the people that he sees succeeding in the world. He, he's not looking to God, he, he's looking to people. And he didn't even have social media, guys. Why is he arrogant? Why is he feeling this angst? Why do we sometimes feel it, right? It's because on some level, his heart and maybe our hearts remove their trust from God and, and we go after other things, right? We see what people have. We see their wealth. We see their comfort, their security, their seemingly carefree living, especially as we scroll on our phones and people present these ideal pictures that are not real. And we go after those things, right? Our, our trust in God lapses, and we start to put our trust in other things. And what lament helps us actually do is, is sort out that disorder, right, that comes to us. And to be reordered by the gospel. To be reordered by the gospel. That's what lament helps us to do. Check out verse 21. He, he says of the moment of his pain, he says, when my heart was grieved, literally it's the word sour. When my heart was sour and my spirit embittered, he says, I was senseless and ignorant. Literally, I had no knowledge, right? I was not seeing truth. How many of us sometimes have moments where we, we snap out of a moment of extreme grief or extreme agony and we're like, what happened? That's what he went through. And there is wisdom in knowing, friends, that what we feel in those moments is not the truth. 
that in the moment of pain, we are under the distorting influence of a volcano of emotions and impulses. And so check out what he says in verse 15. He says, if I had spoken out like that, if I had written a blog post about this, if I had tweeted this out, if I had written my statement of faith in this moment, I would have betrayed your children. I would have harmed them in their faith because I would have been oversharing from that place of pain and, and of not seeing things fully. He's saying that when we lament, and this is so important, when we lament, we need to recognize we're not seeing the full picture clearly. And so there's wisdom in not acting in our pain, right? And there is wisdom in directing our lament to God. We direct our lament to God. He can handle it. He's not gonna be surprised. He, he knows that's all going on in you anyways. Direct it to God. Don't write a blog post about it. It's a time to enter into the presence of God and that's the, that's the second point I wanna make. Lament helps uh, process our pain in the presence of God. That's the place where we bring our pain. You see, out of everything that God wants you, of you, and so often in the Christian life, we think God wants something from me. He wants something from me. No, maybe he just wants you. And that maybe in the moment of our pain for you to just enter into his presence is this, this precious gift that he wants to give you and invite you into. Because our God is a personal, relational God. Check it out. In verse 16, he says, when I tried to understand all this, right? When, when I was in agony trying to work this out, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Sanctuary, that's the word tabernacle. That's the place of God's presence. Asaph, when he was feeling all this agony, he went to church. He went to worship and I'm not saying it's only in church. I'm saying that now through Jesus, because the spirit has been poured out, uh, that sanctuary of God can be in your home, in your room, in that quiet place where you meet with the Lord. But that's where we need to encounter God when we're feeling this pain. And then it says, in the sanctuary of God, I understood their final destiny. I, my, my perspective was broadened. I could see the goal again. We need to enter into the presence of God and worship. And this frees us from that trap of, of that imminent frame we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? That our culture is so preoccupied with what is now and immediate and doesn't have room for God and, and sometimes that, that leaks into us, right? But to worship, right? We were worshiping this morning, singing about the greatness of God, the sound waves washing over us, what happened? Wow. God is big, God is great. See, entering into the sanctuary of God puts us in touch with the one who is eternal, with the one who is holy. And that's where understanding comes from, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our lament. Understanding does not come from having everything explained to us. It comes from being in the presence of God. Think about it this way. Imagine you had a friend who had never seen the ocean and you were trying to explain to them what the ocean is like. Like, I want to help you understand the ocean. And, and you, you know, how would you start? You'd say, well, it's a really big body of water, right? And they may say, oh, like uh, Lake Simcoe? You'd be like, no, 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 it's, it's a lot bigger than Lake Simcoe. Like, it's way bigger than Lake Simcoe. Oh, Lake Ontario. 
No, 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 no. Like the ocean is huge. And in trying to explain the ocean to this person, you could just go on and on and on and they would not understand. Why? The fact is you just need to see it for yourself. That person needs to be in the presence of the ocean. They need to to stand on the shore. They need to get into the waves. They need to feel its power or they need to, to see it calm and just take in its expansiveness. You cannot understand the ocean by explanation. You need to be in its presence. And it's the same with with the pain that we experience. We understand it when we enter into the presence of God. It's in that place of worship, in the presence of God, that we gain that understanding. And it's not that everything is all of a sudden explained and resolved. Like, you you know all the mysteries of the universe because you've been in the presence of God. But here's what does happen. You enter into the presence of the one who does know all the mysteries of the universe. And he knows what's behind all the complexities of what we see, the cause and effect. And it anchors our trust in him because that's what we really need. We don't need to be thrown back on ourselves and our own ability to understand and grasp things. We need to have our trust placed in the living God who does. That's what we need. See, when all is said and done, because he's entered into the sanctuary of God, Asaph can say, but as for me, it's good to be near God. Right, that that closeness and connection to him. He says, I have made the sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, the one who is in control, my refuge. He's been renewed in God's presence and renewed in his trust in God's mercy That's what lament does. It roots us deeply in hope in God. So lament helps us process our pain in the presence of God, but it's actually about a lot more than that. It's actually part of how we participate in God's purposes in the world. Lament itself is missional. It's missional. It's a key practice for the church on mission for Jesus, of the creative minority on mission for Jesus. So take COVID-19, right? This awful pandemic that has ravaged our world, claimed over four million lives worldwide, and, and let's be honest, it is raging on in so many parts of the world right now in a fourth wave. Now, as we've been tracking with this pandemic, we've heard voices, right? Voices from the church, people speaking out, and, and some corners of the church have responded claiming to know the why. What's the meaning of the pandemic? What is happening in this moment? It's judgment on sin. It's a wake-up call for repentance. It's some kind of strategy for making people hungry for Jesus so that they'll suffer and then turn to Jesus. And I think we miss something in this response, in, this, in the church understanding its mission as needing to explain to the world why bad things happen to good people. We miss something there. Firstly, because I think that cause and effect in a broken and rebellious world is deeply complex. And simple answers just don't cut it, right? Second of all, Who can grasp the mystery of how God is sovereignly working out his redemptive purpose in the midst of that complexity? We have faith that God is doing so, but like, do you know how he's doing so? 
And let's be honest, does God want people to repent? Of course he does. That's the daily call of Jesus to people who know him and people who don't. But lastly, those kind of depersonalized explanations and theorizations don't help people come through their pain to meet God. It's not explanation that brings understanding. It's the presence of God and as God's people, our mission in the world is to enter into the pain of the world and be present and to invite people into the presence of our good God. That's our mission. About a month ago, our neighbors opened up to us about how one of their moms got very sick with cancer. Uh, These people would not call themselves a a Christian. They'd be the typical kind of whatever spirituality works for you kind of people. We love them dearly. But they shared this with us. They they shared their pain, the fact that, that his mom, who's elderly, is now ailing with cancer. They shared it with me, not because they wanted the pastor to explain to them why it was happening. They shared it with me because they wanted us to enter into the pain with them. They wanted us as their neighbors to pray for them and they asked us to pray for them. They wanted us to know what was going on in their life in a real connection and and to sit with them and grieve with them and to journey with them. And it's just this beautiful opportunity to invite people into the presence of our good and loving God. Lament shapes us to have the capacity to respond compassionately. It shapes us to be a people of loving presence who invite people to experience God's presence. Richard Foster put it really well when he said, our task, he's talking about the church, would be so much easier, right? He said it would be easier if it were to dissect the problem of evil. Then we could debate all the theories in a properly detached form. Then he says, our question, however, is not why is there suffering in the world, but how do I enter into the suffering that is in the world in a way that is redemptive and healing? How do I enter into the suffering that is in the world in a way that is redemptive and healing? That's that's the question that we want to be asking ourselves as a creative minority for Jesus. How do we enter into the suffering of the world in a way that is redemptive and healing. And and Christians throughout the centuries have taken the pattern of Christ's incarnation, that, that Jesus was the son of God and he entered into the world to heal and redeem it. He, he didn't see all the darkness, all the mess and say, ooh, I'm not touching that. He came into it. And so the church has the same vocation. We're called the body of Christ to enter into the suffering of the world to be in the world but not of the world, to be in the world bearing witness to the Christ who saves the world. And it's this beautiful vocation. It's full of hope. And the first step, the response that just communicates to the the people around you, your neighbors, when they come to you with their pain is to say, I'm with you in this. Tell me more. I'm really sorry that happened to you because then they know you're for them. Then they're gonna trust you. Then they're gonna see your life. They're gonna see your love for Jesus. And you'll get opportunities to speak God's word into their life, I guarantee it. This is part of what it means to live 
as a creative minority for Jesus because that's what Jesus did. When Jesus came face to face with the brokenness and sin of the world, he didn't you know, shake his finger and say, this happened because you sinned. In fact, he had harsh things to say to the religious people who did say that. When Jesus came face to face with the brokenness and pain of the world, he was moved deeply. In fact, one of the gospel writers' favorite words is to say he was moved in his guts. He lamented, he wept with Mary and Martha when Lazarus, Lazarus their brother, died. He wept over the city of Jerusalem because it had so turned away from God. He sweat blood in the garden as he entered into the fullness of what it means to be human. And then from that place of lamentation, of identification, he acted. He healed, he forgave, he raised the dead. He spoke the word of God and he went to the cross where he poured out that lament from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He spoke that lament so that through him we might never have to say those words. That we know that in Jesus we are not forsaken. That there is hope beyond our hopelessness. Because there's such good news that God enters into our pain. He's the great and eternal God who came near. He is present. He's present in our pain and I would even say especially in our pain. That's, that, that's one of the places where God can root us deeply in him. When, when things aren't going swimmingly, when things are really hard, and we throw ourselves on him as our only hope, that we would sing with our lives, all my hope is found in the hands of Christ my King. So friends, lament is this crucial act where we bring our pain to God into his presence and he roots us deeply in himself and we gain access to a greater hope. The prayer of lament turns your pain and my pain into a place of encounter, where God can reveal his glory and his saving work in our lives. God brings us out of lament through the power of Christ's resurrection, and he can bring hope and new life in ways we never thought possible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word that you are speaking to us. I thank you that you are so good to come near to us and to die to redeem us. And as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, would your spirit come and, and make the gift of, of bread and cup uh, spiritual gifts that nourish us deeply, that anchor us deeply in you, our Lord and our King. We pray it, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.